Hi, welcome to Chatting to a Friend. I'm Katie Friend and in this podcast I'm chatting to incredible women about their life experiences and adventures as well as their thoughts on friendship, community, self-care, setting boundaries and how they keep healthy, happy and sane. This week's guest is Mimi Anderson, or to use her Instagram handle, Marvelous Mimi. She really is an absolute inspiration and a complete legend in ultra endurance sports. It's a really exceptional chat, talking about everything from uh, abuse she suffered as a child, from a nanny to the anorexia that she had to fight really hard to overcome once she became a mum and how she went from taking up running so she could have thin legs to becoming a world record holding endurance runner. And most interestingly, how she went from taking up running to running the Marathon de Sable in a year, within a year. I'm always inspired by my guests and this is absolutely no exception. Mimi's joie de vivre and her ability to dig massively deep when in really tough situations, not just within her races, but within life itself. So beating her anorexia, losing her father, and then finally accepting that she just could no longer run due to injury and how she went from there to go on and do other incredible things. I really had such fun chatting to Mimi and I really hope you enjoy. Hi Mimi, how are you today? Thanks for joining me. I am fab. Thank you very much. It's really nice to be here. Oh, it's a, such a pleasure to have you on. I've a fan. I've read Beyond Impossible a couple of years ago when I was just really starting my sort of running journey, which isn't really a journey at all. It's a sporadic kind of in between other sports type journey. And I just so just uh, amazing. And I've heard you uh, speak at things and I've seen you on Zoom. And so I'm very excited to have you all to myself just <laughs> for an hour. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and so I wanted to just touch on, because for those who may have been living in a cave and haven't heard about you, who you are, just on a bit on the history of you sort of, um, you didn't take up running till quite late on in life into your mid thirties after you'd had a fairly shall we say, dysfunctional relationship with your own body? Yes, yeah. I um, So I started running at 36, but I spent 15 years of my life, so from about 14, 15, uh, with an eating disorder, um, sort of anorexia. And it, well, it rules your life, doesn't it? Totally rules your life. I wasn't mm. sporty at all at that stage, but I didn't like my body. You know, it was the classic looking at yourself in the mirror, however thin you got. And all you saw staring back was this, this fat person. Um, yeah, no, it's, it really is. It's horrible, but I was very lucky. I eventually, after I had two children at that stage, um, Mm -hmm. I was very lucky to have children, but I, I just thought, you know, I cannot carry on the rest of my life being like this you know I was fine when I was pregnant um because once I had a bump it sort of wasn't my body anymore it was the baby's body so I looked at it completely differently and I ate relatively normally because I had to because Mm -hmm. obviously with the baby but as soon as the baby was born that was it back back to my old habits again so when my son was born um I remember some 18 months later just thinking, you know, I can't go on like this. This is totally, it's, it, well, it's not fair on, it, I didn't, it wasn't fair on me. It wasn't fair on my mm. family. And it's certainly, I didn't want my children growing up thinking that it was normal yeah. to behave the way that I behaved. Yeah, so I, I eventually went for help. I went to an out, um, you know, outpatients clinic in, um, I think, St. George's Hospital, which was fab, really good, but it wasn't working. Because every time I was weighed, which was once a week, I would turn my back on the on the scales. But you could always tell if it had gone up and down because they'd tell you. So, of course, yeah. if it went down, I smiled. And, of course, the therapy wasn't going to work. If it went up, which it never did, that's when everything then starts. You, know, you start dealing with things. <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> working. So, in the end, I opted for um, hypnotherapy, a oh. specialist hypnotherapy, which I did for just uh, for about a year. Uh, because it was either that or go into a unit, and I I didn't want that with two small children. And yeah, it was good. 
And I was fascinated by the ability to make that decision for yourself. I know you say it was driven by having two kids, but you know, lots of people have unhealthy and unhelpful habits in their lives. And, you know, even having kids doesn't necessarily spur them on to do something about it. Is there, was there some kind of, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to see if that, you know, asking myself and perhaps you as well, obviously as well, (laughs) there was already this sense of this grit and determination that you went on to prove you have in spades. I don't know. I, I mean, it was terrifying doing it, mm. but I just, I mean, it's, it was over. It, it was definitely, it was after my son was born. He was about 18 months old. And my, my daughter at that stage was about two and a half. Mm. And I thought, if I don't do it now, then they are then going to be instilled with this sort of mummy disappearing or mummy not eating with us. Or because yeah. you know, at one stage I ate off my husband's plate. I didn't even have my own plate of food so that right. I couldn't see how much I was eating. So I don't know. I ne- it never occurred to me that it was anything other than normal to want to get better. And mm. I mean, it was a tough, tough process. There were ups and downs um, there were relapses, there was, I mean, and everything in between and, you know, tears, tantrums, you you know, you're watching the weight go on mm. um, and you, you, you had to sort of acknowledge that your body was just too thin. It wasn't, it wasn't normal to, I mean, yeah. you don't have to be skinny, skinny to, to have an, an eating disorder. Um, you know, people think that you have to be very, very thin to have an eating disorder, which you don't at all. Mm. So now, you know, I mean, I still, there's a little bit, I don't think it completely disappears, if I'm honest. I, I eat mm. normally. Um, I don't hold back if I want something. I'm not a, ga- a great cake eater. Um, I don't particularly have breakfast all the time. I do if I'm going to race. You know, so there are lots of things that I still don't do, but mm. I eat normally. I don't have scales in my house. I haven't mm-hmm. done since that time because if I put on a pound, I know that it's just a number, but in my yeah. head, I'd be thinking, oh, God, that's a whole pound, you know, so yeah. I've got to, I had to step away from the numbers um, yeah. and just go on how I felt mm. and how, well, yeah, just how I felt. And, and now, I mean, I know vaguely how much I weigh because if you go to the doctors for something, they have to weigh you, but I still close my <laughs> eyes and tell them I don't want to know. It is ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> um, you know, and I'd take all my clothes off if I could. <laughs> <laughs> and not have had any breakfast and just been for a pee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, so, yeah. But no, I'm, I'm, my relationship now is much better. And I think, you know, I look at my body now and it's not about being trying to be thin. Um, yeah, I think, you know, all women, different shapes and sizes, you know, we have amazing bodies. We really do. <sighs> look what we can do with them. It allows us to well, have children. It allows mm. us to do the sport we want to do, just everything, you know. So actually, they're fab. They are fab. And I had a, uh, I've not suffered from an eating disorder, but I had a, oh, same as all women, that sort of, oh, chunky thighs, my knees are fat, you know, this, that, and the next thing. And I actually wrote a blog, a blog post about it last summer where I just said, my body is amazing. Yeah. I love my body. And even the even the times where I think, oh, I've maybe eaten a bit too much pie and I've just, you know, need to do a bit more exercise or whatever that is, as you say, to make me feel like how I feel in my clothes or whatever. I tend not to weigh myself too often either. And it just occurred to me that I actually truly believed that for the first time in my life, in my late forties. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, because I didn't take up sport till I was 38. So I have a similar not a similar trajectory, but a certainly a similar late in life, um, uh, you know, start yeah. from not sporty and, and really not understanding that my body is just absolutely extraordinary. And funnily enough, mine started with giving birth to my first baby. Anyway, it's a, it's a, a blog that I wrote and I, I wrote it because it suddenly occurred to me that is absolutely amazing. And, and the other day I was on the treadmill and I hate the treadmill, but <laughs> it was necessary evil because the weather's been so miserable here. And I, 
was having to do the last interval session and I was like, and I just shouted above my own music, above the pounding of my feet. I was like, come on, amazing body. You got this. <laughs> oh, I love that. I'm going to remember that next time I'm doing something. <laughs> and do. it was a really, yeah. you know, you have to sort of, I had to drag it from, you know, a place where I was like, Man, I really want to do this. But anyway, so that's, so you, you had the hypnotherapy and you, and, and just out of interest, are your kids, you know, they, you know, did they, they presumably benefited from this new version of you is probably the wrong word of way of putting it, but well, I think are so. they, they're aware of your history and, and that sort of thing now, because they're grown up now. Yes. Um, they're all, um, well, my youngest is, has just turned 28. Actually, my oldest is about to be 36. So, mm. um, yeah, no, they know about my history and, uh, because I think, you know, well, you just talk about it, don't mm. you? Because it could, and it, thankfully it didn't happen to any of them. So that was a massive Good. relief. Uh, I've now got three grandchildren, mm-hmm. one of which is a girl. It can happen to boys as well. Yeah. Uh, so I just think knowing knowing all of that for the mother or the parents, you know, actually they, they can watch out for the signs if, mm. if something happens and perhaps get a bit of help before it gets too bad. But, you know, as we know, help now for eating disorders is very tough. And it's, yeah. because it's escalated in this uh, pandemic that we've had as well, which is really sad. That's what that's what I've heard. And and you were in amongst all of your amazing achievements, which we're going to come on to. You were raising, or perhaps you still do, for for Beat. Is that right? That's a charity that helps. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I raised money for them uh, when I did my uh, John Groats to Land's End World Record. Mm. I think some people thought most people were very supportive. I did it because you know, you can still exercise with an eating disorder. And I just wanted to also prove that you can run and you can go back to normality having had a bad eating disorder, which is why I did it. And I wanted to support, obviously, and and raise money. I rang them up and I spoke to them and they were very supportive. There were a few, I think, mothers, understandably, who thought it was a little bit um, odd that I was raising money and running those sort of distances. They didn't think it was the right sort uh, of image to give, which, do you know, that's fair enough. I can understand where they're coming from. If you've got a child who is constantly trying to, you know, lose, lose weight, but yeah. exercising all the time for the wrong reasons. And I wanted to show that you can do it for the right reasons. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it was, it was great. Actually, we raised lots of money for that, which was really good, but it's a fantastic charity. Amazing. And you then, what, at what point in your journey um, back to health did you decide that running was for you? Because I think, I, if I remember from the first book, which I loved, by the way, <laughs> it, was, it was originally driven by not such healthy reasons. There was a, a wanting thinner legs scenario in there. Yes. Is that, am I right? <laughs> yes, it was. But, so this was several years after I'd sort of in brackets recovered, you know, because I said mm. before, you don't always make a, yeah. you, you don't make a totally full recovery. Um, and some people want to have brown eyes. Some people want to have long blonde <laughs> hair. I had always, I blame my mother entirely for this, although she's had good legs. I always wanted to have long, thin legs. And oh. so it wasn't anything about wanting to lose weight. It, it sort of goes back, really, I suppose, to um, the reason why I got an eating disorder in the first place, because I had quite an abusive nanny. Yes. And she would always hit me, kick me, whatever, from the waist, between the waist and my knees. So, of course, that mm-hmm. bit of my legs to me totally repulsive because that's where I was always um, hit and somebody suggested that I took up running so I literally went off to the treadmill I had no idea what I was doing I felt very self-conscious it has to be said it's one of those (laughs) moments you know you think everybody's watching me I'm going to turn the machine on and I'm going to go flying off the back (laughs) and it's going to be so embarrassing and in fact nobody is remotely interested in what you're doing at all (laughs) and uh, yeah so I started doing a sort of run walk thing because in those days we didn't have the internet like we we had now and there was nothing Mm. out there that I could find so that's that's what I did started with a mile that was tough built myself up to three miles. And then eventually I discovered through friends who invited me to do this run, 10 mile run outside along something called the Cuckoo Trail. Mm. And uh, 
And I remember thinking, do people actually run outside? Because again, you, you didn't see people running outside. If, in those if they're not days. being chased. I know, yeah. I mean, or running for a bus. or yeah. you know, it, it was just very odd. And I thought, okay, well, I'll go for a run outside. And I just, I loved it. Absolutely <sighs> loved it. I mean, I ached and couldn't walk the next day, but... It was that feeling of, um, I think we all have as runners when you're outside, that just that feeling of freedom, of space, mm. of, you know, moments of just total tranquility where you're in your own thoughts. And mm. it, was, it was lovely, absolutely lovely. And so w- from within a year of that first 10 miler, you were doing the Marathon de Sable. <laughs> you crazy woman. <laughs> Well, it's, again, you see, I had nothing to compare anything to. So <laughs> that, that to me was, was quite normal. And to be honest with you, I actually, I didn't know anything about the marathon or even a half marathon. I didn't know that those existed. I mean, that's how mm. awful I was with my running. And this friend of mine came into the gym and literally handed me a magazine and said, write Mimi, this is our next race. And it was mm. pictures of people running across the desert with these funny gator things on their mm, legs, yeah. and they had funny outfits on, absolutely, and <laughs> blistered feet. Oh. And all I could think of was, oh, my goodness, that looks fantastic. So, it, But it wasn't about the distance. Actually, I mm. never looked at the distance at that stage. It wasn't about that. It, it was about the adventure. Because, mm. because I had three small children at that stage or three young children. Yeah. It was about getting out and just, it was something so far-fetched from my normal life as a mum of three children. Yeah. That it was something that I wanted to do. So there we go. I, I spent a year <laughs> training for it and ended up on the start line in April. Amazing. Yeah. Because, and just for those who, well, I, I mean, most people who are listening to this will be thinking, oh, please stop talking about the Marathon de Saab because I seem to talk about it every episode. But it's 250 kilometers over seven days, multi-stage race, completely self-sufficient in the Sahara Desert. And it's been dubbed the toughest foot race on earth, although I'm pretty sure you could give it a run for its money in terms of some of the other things you've done. But in certainly from someone who's had a, a year's worth of experience, I mean, I'm coming up to 10 years of, you know, being in a sporty life, as it were, and I'm taking it on next year. And for exactly the same reason as you, exactly the same yeah. reason, just thinking, what a massive adventure. What a massive adventure. And that's why I did the, ha- the first half marathon to Saab, which is 120 um, uh, a few years ago, because I just thought, well, pff, I could walk it if I had to. <laughs> well, exactly. And I think, you know, you can go out there and be like Elizabeth Barnes and, and, and win it and get, you know, be at, at, at top of the field and fantastic. And I love watching that. But you mm. can also be like, like me and you and go out and just enjoy it. You know, there's nothing better. I mean, this is going to sound really weird, but there is nothing better. In the mornings, they come away and they rip your, it's not even a tent, <laughs> bit of canvas away from underneath yeah. you, and you're still in your sleeping bag. They tend to <laughs> come to the British tents first, which I remember thinking, oh, I'm not sure about this. And um, they roll them up and they leave them, the rugs that you sleep on, they leave in, in piles so that the trucks eventually, when we've all gone, come and pick them up. Mm. And sitting on top of those having your breakfast, mm. looking at the sun coming up and the dunes is so much nicer than sitting in a five-star hotel. It is unbelievably just amazing, absolutely amazing. And I can't think why anybody wouldn't want to go and experience something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure people listening are thinking, oh, I can think of plenty of reasons. But <laughs> No, I totally get that. And what did you get from that very first sort of big leap because that is I mean that is a big leap from nothing that's properly zero to hero what did you come home apart from that amazing feeling that you've just described I came home knowing you know I I did it with a couple of girlfriends and Mm. we actually worked very well as a team my my one of my lovely friends Louise she was the strongest out of the three of us but Mm. we would always go with the person who was going at the slowest pace. That sometimes was me, that sometimes was Max. And on one occasion, I think it was Louise, but she usually was the faster one out of the three of Mm. us. So it was lovely being part of a team uh, that Mm. really sort of helped. So when I wasn't very well, because I was ill, quite badly ill, 
their support was invaluable. And perhaps mm. had I not been part of a team, I might not have finished because yeah. I, I, you know, I might not have had that strength which teamwork gives you. But it also showed me when I got home, having been that ill, I had five bags of IV drip, um, intravenous <gasps> drip during the race. So the day before the longest day, I literally collapsed and had oh. to be, the, the, the doctors said, we'll put you in a car and we'll take you to the medical tent. And I went, no, 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 you can't do that. Because if I get into the car, that's me out of the race. I said, you are allowed to get into the car for this. I went, all right then. Um, <laughs> so when I got there, I, when you're very, very badly dehydrated, you just want to go to sleep. Mm. And I wanted to curl up in a ball. And I blanked everything out and just went, wanted to go into this deep, deep sleep. So eventually they had to give me the, the, the drips. And the next mm. day, so by the time I got to my back to my sleeping bag, it was a couple of hours to go. And then we were off on the longest stage of oh, 54 wow. miles, I know. So I think for me, the biggest thing that I learned was coming back from that was actually I'm, a, I'm quite a strong person. I had to mm. dig, dig very, very deep on that that the marathon the uh, the longest day to get yeah. to that finish line and i just remember sitting in my kitchen thinking do you know if you can finish a race that at the time and and i i, I don't think it is the, the toughest foot race in the world but it was billed as that at the time mm. you can finish that feeling that ill imagine what i can do if i'm feeling 100% so it sort yeah. of spurred me on to want to see what else my body and mind actually w were capable of achieving are the things that you, that got you through that the resilience the whatever you used to get you keep you going are, is it the same now as it was then do you have techniques is it just grit and bloody mindedness <laughs> or do you have things that you do or is there a mixture I think it's a mixture. I, I definitely have learnt more. I think the more mm. races you do, the more resilient you become. And so your mind definitely becomes stronger mm. through it. One of the things that my one of my teammates said to me on the, the, the on the longest day when we were coming up to this che the, the checkpoint, we were gonna have something to eat, and I was just slightly behind my two teammates at this stage with my walking poles and I was just going along. I had tears coming down my, my cheeks mm. and I was you know, mentally and physically in such a bad way at that stage. I think the worst I'd ever been. And Max came up to me and she just looked at me and said, think of all those people at home who think you're going to fail and walked away. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I know. I know. Harsh, isn't it? But... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not good on lots of cuddles and, you know, sympathy mm. because I find that, that that doesn't work for me. And she knows, she knew, she's still, we're still friends, knows me very well. So <laughs> yeah. what that, that comment did yeah. was, to act, was to make me think, okay, Mimi, you've worked really hard for this medal. You're not feeling well. You have got to somehow find something else to get you to that finish line. Um, so that... That little comment has stayed mm. with me in every single race that I do. Because oh, people, amazing. Yeah, people don't think or didn't think that I was going to succeed. Um, if I go and try a different race, like when I went and did the cold race, I mean, friends very nearly took my passport away, which I couldn't <laughs> understand at all. Well, in, that's the one in the Yukon. Yeah. And, yeah. and you think, why would you do that? Um, so, but I think people worry. I don't don't worry about it because again I mean obviously I'm sensible and I know you know I do a lot of research and I train well and I get the right kit so you know I don't go out there unprepared to these events but I know yeah. that if I do everything right and with my a plan and my mindset and everything else that and if everything goes right I can get to that finish line. And do people still think that? Or you, well, I'm you such an old fart now that no, <laughs> nobody really cares anymore, actually, to be <laughs> <Nonsense>. quite honest. <laughs> so, no, I don't do much running anymore, sadly. I do a little bit, but not, not like I used to, no. And, but, I mean, the thing is I've talked to so many incredible women about, you know, the sort of extraordinary physical and mental pushing of barriers and boundaries and quite often they tell me the same as you is and it's very often just people are projecting their own fears 
and they haven't done all the research and they don't know what they're capable of. And so it's, it, it seems to be like a, and I think, I can't think who it was. I think it was maybe Sarah Williams of Tough Girl. Yep. I can't remember, but I think it was her that just said, yeah, it was her actually. And she said, I just say to people, thank you very much. And I carry on doing what I'm going to do. Well, exactly. You see, you, you've got to, haven't you? And when I started as well, there weren't that many, you know, because again, it wasn't worldly, you know, there weren't that mm. many races around. As I said before, there wasn't the internet, no Googling could happen. Mm. And so that I did, there weren't that many women doing what I was doing. Mm. Um, obviously, there have been lots of women since, and there were some, a few women at the time, but I carried on doing it. And I was criticized by some people, male and female, for leaving my children behind. <sighs> and look, I suppose in those days that 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 was normal, wasn't it? Yeah. And it, but it never occurred to me that I couldn't leave them behind because either my husband was there or they my mother would come, my parents yeah. would come down and look after them. So I always knew that they were safe. So to me, that I couldn't understand why people thought that I was doing something something wrong and actually I think it's healthy to go off and do your own thing because you come back refreshed it totally is and I just interviewed Annabelle Abs, the author uh who uh, and we were having the same conversation about that need that need to get away and do things for yourself and to you know to find your own boundaries not as a mum but as you as who you are and how so important it is, and and my realization far too late into motherhood that that was vital for my own mental and physical well being. But I th- absolutely, and I think that we're all sort of made not so much nowadays. It's lovely now, you know. You see so many people with with young, very young families, babies. They're breastfeeding on, you know, Sophie Paz. You're, you know, they're, they're breastfeeding on races because their husband brings the yeah. baby. You know, all of this absolutely fantastic to see and it's now normal to do it but Mm. but yes we definitely need we need our own space we need to have have our own identity you know I love it that I'm uh, yeah I'm Mimi Mm -hmm. and um, when my husband came and started crewing for me in 2009 which I initially was not happy about at mm. all because I thought, mm, not don't, don't like this. This is this is my domain. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he was he was brilliant, absolutely brilliant, and mm. I was worried that I was going to lose my identity. But in fact, he became um, <laughs> Mr. Mimi. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it was it was lovely. So you know, so I'm not. I was never somebody's wife or somebody's mother or somebody's grandmother. I was just me, yeah. and that was important. That that's that's so important. I have a couple of weeks every year where I head off to work with what used to be the Paris Dakar Rally. Yeah, um, and I. That's why I love that so much. I mean, I, there's lots of other things I do the same that give me that same feeling. But this was the first time I think in my motherhood career, yeah. <laughs> as it were, that I actually just went away and I couldn't understand what it was that made me so happy when I came back. And it was just because for two weeks I did not have to think about feeding anyone or what time anyone else had to be somewhere or doing something. I just had to get up in the morning and do my job and then someone would feed me and then I go to bed and someone else told me what time I needed to get up and then I go again. <laughs> and it totally happened. <laughs> oh, just so glorious. And the same with the half marathon to Sab and I'm assuming with the marathon as well, you, you switch off, no phones, no nothing, nobody demanding anything of you except just get up, get your kit on, one foot in front of the other. Yes, absolutely. And I think the other, you know, I think what's so sad now and in a way is that, people bring their phones uh, mm. on the races and things and and absolutely for taking photographs but I think all phones should be banned yeah. um you know for making calls because this is just for me because I think that when you're out in a race wherever it might be the jungle the arctic wherever mm. you're in the moment yeah you've got 8 days 6 days whatever it is in the moment enjoying racing in this in these exquisite amazing environments talking yeah. to people who you've never met before sometimes mm. you might have met some of them but just getting to know this small group of people and you live in this little bubble that's yeah. your reality for for the time that you're racing and i think 
to, to then have, you know, I don't know, get a text message or a WhatsApp or yeah, something. Yeah, oh, no, think, no. No, no, go away. I mean, my, my family are very good. They know that when I'm, I'm away, I'm away. Yeah. And uh, they don't get a call until I finished. Uh, and yeah. they can track me. They can do all of that if they want to, but yeah. they know that I'm not going to to ring them. So, yeah. No, well, I was, uh, when I went to Fuerteventura that time to do the half marathon sub, there was signal, but I just put my phone in my bag and left it yeah. in the hotel because I thought, no, I don't, th- I want to kind of experience it the way people in the full marathon to sub experience it. So I had a phone that had music and the capability of taking photos and that's all I used it for. Had no SIM card, no nothing. Perfect. And I loved it. So um, then, so that you've done so many amazing things, you've broken the world record, which I think, do you still hold it? Well, the joggle? No, that was broken last last year, last September. Ah. By Carla. Yes. Oh, no. But records aren't there but to be kept, are they? Records are there to be broken. Yeah. I love that thing you say in the book about you just holding on to it for the next person. Yeah, absolutely. And she, Carla absolutely smashed that record oh did she she did she did it in uh, 12 days and 30 minutes I followed her and tracked oh. her and sent her messages and uh, oh. amazing to watch and it's so lovely to see such an extraordinary caliber of runner uh, oh. doing something like that so yeah and did she go the other way did she go Land's End to John O'Groats she went Land's End to John O'Groats yeah. I thought so and did you join her for a bit did I see that somewhere did you know that or, was no. uh, that was the other lady who had broken it after oh, right. so I held it for just over 11 years wow. and then Sharon Gator took it back and again mm-hmm. she did an extraordinary run as well and then Sharon literally had it I think she did it in the March or the April I can't remember and then Carla went and took it away from her. So <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, amazing. So you did that. And you also uh, did at one point hold the record for running the length of Ireland or the still width of Ireland. Still hold that, yeah. The length still of Ireland. Still hold that. Yeah, Congratulations. Hold that. Thank you very much. <laughs> And the treadmill, that just sounds like the worst world record ever. Well, I, <laughs> I mean, amazing. Well, I <laughs> Tell me about that. It's mad, isn't it? Well, I think that you can, you can never say you don't like something unless you try it first. <laughs> so I just thought, well, I can't have all, you know, I can't complain that I don't like a treadmill, so I've got to give this a proper go. And there was a record to have. So it was seven days, the furthest distance traveled on a, a treadmill by a female. <sighs> in seven days so I did it uh, in, in, in an outlet center so basically a shopping center <laughs> in Ashford in Kent and uh, I started on the Monday and by the end of I says towards the end of the day but well, it's about four o'clock I was beginning <laughs> I, I only started at 12 o'clock for goodness sake I was beginning <laughs> to have find it re- really painful uh to run and it mm. turned out that I'd actually got, uh, so the physio came and I got a stress fracture oh. <laughs> in, my, in one of my toes. So it was suggested that I should stop and reconvene. And I just thought, no, why would you uh-huh. want to do that? I can't, you know, if necessary, I should walk for a bit um, and just do it, do it like that. Because all these people had come to give me their support. I'd got the treadmills there. I'd got people volunteering, taking all the records and filming and doing all of mm-hmm. that. So I carried on. And I my aim was to actually break the the, the male record, mm. but which I think at the time was 517 kilometers or mm. miles rather. And I just about broke by about eight miles or something, the female record. So I, mm. I still break the record. But not. And do you still hold that one? Oh no, that would that's been taken away. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't care because on my certificate it says that I have a broken toe. Absolutely. Oh, does amazing. it? Yeah. <laughs> so she could have done even better. It says in brackets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it was it was good, interesting. And, I say. And then you went on to push yourself into to doing the Yukon race, which I loved reading about, which had a a very sort of it had its own challenges both. Physically, obviously, but emotionally too, because you oh, lost yeah. your dad while you were doing that. I did. My dad, very sadly, had uh, he'd been taken into hospital with uh, bladder cancer, and he. I went and saw him about three weeks before uh, I left, and yeah, he he just looked awful actually, and 
my my father, my mother, and my sister had all had a conversation without me to say that right, Mimi's going to still go to the Arctic and do this race. And I said, look, I can't go. And they said, no, 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 you've got to go. Daddy wants you to go because you know he'll he'll be watching you and and following your progress. So when I I went out there and when I hit the ice road on, so I had 120 miles to run on the ice road and having mm. stopped at the Arctic chalets, uh, I had a six hour, six hours, four hours rest, ate something, slept for two hours, ate something, and then headed off at uh, 6.15 or whatever time, I think 6.15 in the morning, uh, the Yukon time. Mm-hmm. And I had this overwhelming it was dark sense of grief I felt that I'd been hit in the Mm. chest by a bullet or a or you know just somebody had thumped me in the chest and it went all the way down to my feet and then back up into my chest again and I burst into tears and I knew at that stage that my father had died and Mm. still makes me sad now Mm. and all I wanted to do was just to stop and go back to the Arctic chalets to, to, to contact my mother because it was the only place during the race we'd had any form of internet. And my mother had said to me, if your father dies during the race, we won't tell you until you're finished. Mm. So I, I do remember looking up at the sky and I just said, Dad, this is so not a good time to die. You know, my, my tears are going to start freezing and everything. So I continued on, spurred on because yeah. of my father. And I crossed that finish. And my son was with me at the time. He was part of the crew. He was 19. Mm. And I crossed that finish line, winning that race overall, so male yeah. and female. Only th- two of us finished that year. And... The next day, somebody very kindly gave me their pay card, uh, pay phone card, because there was a phone in, in the mm-hmm. place that we were staying uh, in the gym. And I tried to ring, I put it in and I tried to ring my husband. And I knew that I got the number right. We were in rented accommodation at the time, but it wouldn't go through. It kept on saying, number not recognized. Mm. I thought, oh, this is ridiculous. So the only other number I knew was my mother's. Yeah. And so somebody up there was just going, no, 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 you don't need to speak to your husband. You need to speak to your mother. And she told us the news that he had died oh, at exactly that moment. I had stepped onto the ice road, yeah. So I always think it's really very special that his love for me was so strong that he was able to come and visit me. So, yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry. No, it's no, it's he had a, he had a lovely life. Yeah, the night before, I had – this is going to sound as if I was I was <laughs> off the planet somewhere here. But the night before, I was going along. We always had the this particular year, we had the, um, the, mm. the Northern Lights. Every oh, night came goodness. out to play at about 2 o'clock in the morning. Oh, they were just wonderful. And I had this one particular one that was whizzing around me, and I wasn't tired. I was absolutely fine. And it sort of seemed to sort of stop sort of fairly close to me and it had oh, this is going to sound very odd it did have a face and it had a hat on and and I felt I started chatting to it and I did pinch myself thinking Mimi this is you know you, you <laughs> it's, it's sort of real and and it, I felt that it was it was happy and I felt that it was trying to tell me something and then it disappeared and I never thought anything of it and it turned out that again my father was taken from hospital to home uh, to die uh, which is what he wanted yeah. so that was a happy thing uh, so yeah so the whole whole thing was I just knew all the way through that uh, this was going on yes absolutely extraordinary and what do you think uh, you said you had your son with you and I think that's just such a lovely uh, experience obviously that was very fortuitous because obviously there was presumably a great deal of grief when you finished despite having won the race um, yeah. But how lovely to have your son on something so incredibly tough for him to see his mum doing this. And and I know that you said that he uh, had a an illegal house party to celebrate you finishing <laughs> Land's End to John O'Groats <laughs> as well. But I, 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 just yeah. such an extraordinary uh, experience it must be to have, you know, someone that close to you with you on that, something like that. Uh, it was wonderful. It really was wonderful. I didn't see him all the time. Mm. Uh, and he would always look after me when I came into a checkpoint. It was very sweet. Mm. 
and uh, make sure that I was I was all right and that I was eating and things like that. <laughs> he no, he was very good. And I remember on the so the last days of coming into Tuck Tuck Tuck, we had about ten k to go, and. I was really, really cold because I'd actually been running down this the, the hill. If you imagine a river; it's actually going downhill, yeah. and I was and I could see the lights of Tuck Tuck Tuck, and I was told it was about twenty five k away. So I thought, okay, Mimi. So I picked up the pace. Um, I mean, I'm still going in a sort of a slow jog here, mm. rather than a. a so it wasn't ter- it wasn't terribly fast, but I was building up a bit of a sweat going mm. as I did it. So by the time I remember going round this corner, and I was lit up by these the northern lights again mm. were behind me. It was like having a car behind me, yeah. and I got round the corner to find a support vehicle, and they said, "Mimi, fantastic! Do you want a you know, do you want a co- co- chocolate? Do you want something?" And I just went, "Why would I do that? I just want somebody to take me to the, <laughs> show me where the finish because I thought I was there, <sighs> you see." And they said, "We've well, got ten more kilometers uh. to go now." 10 more kilometers is a long, it's another couple of hours. Yeah. So my heart absolutely sank at that stage. And they, my son turned around and said, well, can I go, could I go with her? And they said, yeah, of course you can. So he had all his stuff on. I then started getting hypothermia because, of course, I was sweat, had been sweating and I was getting really, really cold. <laughs> Somebody else then lent me their big damn jacket and their hat. And I did look like the Mitchell man <laughs> at that stage. I was so, but I was warm. Mm. And that was the main thing. And I said to Roy, I said, right, come on, gonna, we're going to do a bit of a run now. And, <laughs> and he said, Mum, you're walking faster than you're running. So he said, <laughs> I just think conserve your energy. You know, when you do this, you think you're running because you're just doing the movement. Well, that was me. And I was hallucinating oh, yes. really badly at that stage. So that poor chap, he must have thought his mother had finally lost the clock. So I said, can you not see her? There's a girl in front of us, you know. And, uh, yeah, So, it, but it was lovely. Um, it was very special having him there, Aww. which I loved. And I just, I, I want to move on to the, the new book and what sort of happened after 2017 or what's happening. But I just wanted to ask you a quick question. You, presumably your children think you're an inspiration, although I'm sure children sometimes don't, don't express that. that no, <laughs> Even at my early stage in motherhood, I know that that's probably <laughs> going to be the case. But I, I heard, you know, I hear you being regarded as such all the time and you are um you know elizabeth barnes regards you as somebody that she's inspired by which is high praise indeed yeah it is that's lovely and and she's told me that personally not you know i haven't she's actually told me that personally and i wonder how does that feel how does that sit because i interview a lot of inspirational women and quite a lot of the time they're like nonsense like how does it feel and does it ever get boring embarrassing or does it just always feel good I'm interested to know Uh, well I do get embarrassed by it actually I I, I do um but I also think that it's it's quite special Mm. because I think it's lovely to know that somebody can I don't know read my story or see what I do or where I came from because I'm just an ordinary person Mm. And I can achieve what I've achieved. And you can look at that and you think, well, why can't I do that? So if it just, I think, inspire, uh, you know, it's a, I don't know whether I like using that word, but if it can encourage somebody mm. to go and try something, just step outside their own comfort zone, because it's quite difficult stepping outside your comfort mm. zone because it's quite scary. Yeah. Um, and it scared me many, many times. I still get scared, <laughs> actually. But if you, if I can encourage somebody to do that, then I to me that's wonderful. And it yes, I think I love that. I do enjoy that. Good. Well, I'm very, very glad. Special. I'm glad to hear it. Um, I want to just ask you. You talked earlier about your identity and when your husband came to help you as support crew, and you wondered whether you would lose your identity because you kind of did in a way eventually sort of go through a bit of an identity crisis in 2017 when you tried to take on your biggest challenge yet do you want to can you tell me a little bit about that yes in 2017 I tried to break the female record to run across America so I went from Los Angeles to New York because that's where 
how the original record, female record, was done. Mm. And so just under 3,000 miles, I think it was 2,852 miles, mm. if you want to be <laughs> exact. And I got three quarters of the way across the country. And I'd done 2,215.48 miles. Everybody always laughs at me that I know the Approximately, point 48. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's because it took me a long time to do that point 0.48. Uh, but yeah, but I got, and I'd been having issues with my right leg. And it got worse and worse and worse until eventually on the 40th day of the run, I was on track to break the record I ju- I simply couldn't. Uh, I could hardly walk. Mm. It was. I did sixteen very very painful miles. I can't tell you. I was stopping and I was crying and I was stopping and I was crying. And I, I have to say, my crew were extraordinary because again, there wasn't lots of sympathy. Mm. Uh, it was. I mean, they gave me sympathy. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. They were fantastic, but they were trying to find a solution. Yeah. Um, and all I could do at that time was to keep going until somebody had worked out what we were going to do. Anyway, eventually, uh, Jenny, my head crew, decided that, that we were going to go and have an MRI scan. So this was just to find out what was going. We could then find a solution, and the aim was to then continue. But sadly, the MRI scan showed that I had mega sort of bone edema mm. above and below my what knee. What does that mean? Uh, Basically, it's it's bruising, mm. uh, bruising of, of the bone. So in the X in the MRI scan, it comes out as white, mm. um, and I had no cartilage on sort of the lateral side of my knee, which was what was causing most of the pain. Yeah. And if you've ever run bone on bone, it's mm-hmm. quite painful. Uh, so I was left in my in the room having spoken to the consultant and he said that if you continue running he never stopped me he didn't say that I couldn't do it mm. but he said if you continue running um the chances of you having stress fractures are pretty high because of the bruising that's going on in your bones and he actually told my husband that um if I continued the high, there was a very high possibility that I would go home in a wheelchair mm. and then have to have a knee replacement when I got home wow but do you know, knowing all of that, I it took me over an hour to make that decision to stop because I put three years of my life into this project. Yeah. Um, I believed that I could do it. I still do. If if that, you know, I mean, it's easy to say, isn't it? But I still believe that had my knee not sort of, you know, done what it had done, mm. that I could have done it. But you know, that that it is what it yeah. is, so that's fine. But I eventually made the decision to stop. It was uh, the toughest decision I've ever had to make, mm. but I still think it was the right one yeah. because I think running through an injury like that is, A, it's not worth it. Yeah. Um, and, and it's setting a bad example, yeah. I think, to people to say that, you you know, oh, it's quite acceptable to run through this sort of injury. And I then... Yeah, I felt as if I was a complete and utter failure. And I and, and I, I just was so ashamed of myself because mm-hmm. I hadn't completed what I'd set out to do. And unfortunately, that having spoken to two consultants separately, when I got returned home after a few months, I, you know, was, was told when I knew anyway, that my long distance running days were over. I didn't even know at that stage if I was able to run again. Mm. Uh, so, so painful. So, I did. My identity went just went overnight. You know, yeah. one moment I'm I'm an ultra runner, the next moment I'm a well, who am I? Yeah. I? I'm not anybody. And that I found really, really tough because I didn't know where I fitted. You know, in on my Facebook and my Instagram and my everything, it's running. Yeah. And suddenly, I wasn't part of that world anymore. I was a, I was a non-runner. So, yeah, I found myself going into this deep, dark sort of hole. I wouldn't call it depression, mm. but it felt like it. Um, and, and I sort of went into through this grieving process, mm. I suppose. And I had to sort of say goodbye to my uh, to my career, if you can call it yeah. a career f- as a runner. And but I knew that I had to somehow find a way out again. I had to. I, I, I remember doing a po- um, a blog, and Stephen Hawkins had said, "If you ever find yourself." in a black hole I googled black hole for some reason <laughs> uh, there is always a way out so I thought okay Mimi you've got to find that way out 
And the friend suggested that I cycled from Land's End to John O'Groats because it was the, the following year, because it was the 10th anniversary oh, yeah. of my John O'Groats uh, world record. <laughs> I hadn't even got a road bike at that stage. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, I, and I'd done a little bit of cycling, but nothing really. Mm. So that, that's how, how, how it all started. And, and it was difficult because I would you know, be cycling down the road on my hybrid bike looking like a runner on a bike because of course all my kit was, was running fit. <laughs> and I'd see a runner and I'd slow right down chat to them and, and you know things and, and I always remember thinking I'd rather be doing that than doing this mm. and I just thought maybe pull yourself together yeah. you can't do that at the moment it doesn't matter but you can do this so it was trying to again find the positives rather than always thinking about the negatives yeah I heard um Oh, I can't think of his surname, but Lee, he's the uh, Royal Marine who lost his leg in a car accident uh, and he ended up breaking the world record for rowing across the Atlantic solo and, and you know, extraordinary, extraordinary things. And yeah. he said, he said the most, one of the most powerful things ever. I mean, he said it's the most extraordinary interview, but I heard, he said, people always say to me, what, you know, do you wish it had never happened. Do you wish you still had your leg? And he said, I might as well wish I was Superman and I could fly. <laughs> it's just not how it is. Yeah. And that's yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. I, no, absolutely. I totally agree. It's, I said to somebody the other day, do you know, if, if I hadn't have stopped running, I would never have had the courage to learn how to do the front crawls to overcome my fear mm -hmm. of water. I would never have bought a bike. Mm -hmm. uh, I now have three bikes. <gasps> Don't tell my husband. <laughs> Isn't it awful? If my husband had bikes in the house where we have to be like, I'd be really cross <laughs> because they're mine. It's all right. Um, and I wouldn't have then, you know, met different people who do cycling and, and look at, you know, I'm now in this world of cycling and there are some, are some incredible women oh, amazing. who do this long distance of cycling stuff and I'm nowhere near their level absolutely nowhere but I aspire to be like them yeah because I just think how fantastic uh, so yeah so it's a different world and I would never ever like rather like me I would never have discovered any of this that actually you know I can do this if I hadn't had to stop running and what what is it your what is the plan? Because I hear you've done your first triathlon and or you've done triathlons and what, what's what's the plan? We've got something well, exciting in the pipeline. Well, I've got uh, I did uh, Pacific Coast Highway in 2019 mm -hmm. with a friend, uh, and that was one. Yeah, that was very very special. And I've, I've I've got a few adventures I want to do this year, but I'm sort of going to do them on the spur of the moment right. type thing. I've got a race coming up in four weeks. Mm. It's not a race; it's a journey. Mm. So it's called Chase the Sun. So mm. you do you you start at sunrise and you have to basically go across the coast to coast um, and finish before the sun set. Sun yeah, sun setting. So <gasps> I've got seventeen and a half hours, I think it is, wow. to do two hundred and five miles. Okay. Um, and yeah, I have got a triathlon, open water triathlon booked for July. It's only a sprint because. Oh, it's scary enough though. Is, I feel, I oh, feel I, your yeah. pain on the swimming thing because I often think that I would quite like to do triathlon, but swimming, I've done a couple, but the swimming is just too painful for me. <laughs> no, I don't. It, it's funny, isn't it? I still don't enjoy it. I've been doing it now since 2018 where I literally could blow a bubble in I mean I could swim do the breaststroke mm -hmm. you know with my head firmly above the water <laughs> uh, which always used to Proper make granny style laugh. <laughs> oh totally and so now you know I can do the front crawl having started with, well with the bubble blowing so I'm really pleased and I went swimming today and I had to somebody said to me trumpet on your happy face Mimi when you're going swimming. <laughs> so I try and put on the happy face it doesn't work um, but it has got better it is easier it's something I could quite easily stop doing, mm. the swimming. Yes. Um, I don't enjoy it. At the moment, I'm doing it once a week, possibly twice. I'm going open water swimming tomorrow. Mm -hmm. um, 
So, yeah, it's not my favorite sport. And I think after I've done this next triathlon, possibly I'm going to stop it because <laughs> it just takes up too much time. Well, that is the thing. Unless you literally have a swimming pool in the garden or a lake at the end of your road, you know, the, it's, it, it is that one of those ones, unlike a bike or a running where you just put your kit on and leave the front door. There is that yeah. kind of faff factor of getting there. And I remember when my husband was um, training for triathlon and Ironman, that was the one thing that he just was such a real the real psychological getting yourself out the door for was the swimming it is and every so every tuesday <laughs> it is ridiculous really but every tuesday i have a um a tempo session on my turbo mm. with i call them the mat on zwift with my mad welsh group <laughs> and i love that and it starts at six thirty. Wow. and every tuesday i wake up and i go oh no i don't because i don't have to do it with them i could do it later in the day but Mimi, why you're awake? You are awake. So I, I'll, I'll do it, knowing that seven thirty, I'm finished. I then get changed, go swimming, and by nine o'clock on a Tuesday, all my my, my sessions are all over. But if I, you know, procrastinated yes. with the with the turbo session, I'd have to do it when I got back. I think no, I don't want to do that. So <laughs> you know, and I like getting up early in the morning, and I get up. It's just, it's just the thought of having to work hard for 45 minutes. <laughs> yes. Although so. there's something, I find something quite reassuring. It sounds weird. Anytime I'm presented with some kind of sprint session, whether it's on skis, on a bike, running. When I say skis, I mean skinning up, you know, up yeah. hill. Oh, fantastic. Um, I always think, oh, and then I think, well, first of all, it's really short. So it's going to be short. So it's not going to take you very long. And actually... I know now, and I think it's probably a bit like well, you, but like about a minus a thousand percent, but that there's that experience that comes with, you know, how you're going to feel when you've done a short, brutal sprint session. Yes. You're going to be like, I completely rock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And, you know, and even with swimming, I just, yeah, exactly. And you know that I know with the swimming that you go and you think, well, He'll never know if I don't do that 200. <laughs> but of course, I will know. I'll know that I yes. haven't completed the session. And I can't then say to my coach, um, oh, and yeah, no, don't worry. No, I, feel, I did it all knowing that I yeah. didn't because that it just doesn't work and actually, like that. Does you it? know, lying to your coach, well, it's no skin off their nose, but you're just really lying to yourself. It's the old adage that our parents told us if we ever thought about cheating at school. You're only cheating one person. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> But it was, yeah, but I've had so many messages of support Aww. with my swimming. And, and one of the reasons that I sort of documented it, I suppose, in my, on my Instagram mm. was, um, was just to, because I, I thought there must be other people out there like me who have this fear of water. Oh, yeah. So, and it was really lovely because we had, you know, some people would say, oh, I haven't swum for ages, Mimi. You know, I've put it off. I'm going to go back to it. Or other people who are going through the similar journey to me so it was quite good that you know we I I didn't feel alone mm. because I oh, had good. their support so I hope you know they they felt that they also had mine so that was but my daughter used to get very embarrassed because she said mom could you not go on Instagram with, with your goggles and your hat on because she says it's so not a good look you know and I'd be so excited because I've just done 50 meters or something you know but to me that was massive. That is massive. <laughs> yes. When I when I did my first hundred meters, oh. I was beyond ecstatic. I could barely breathe by the last uh, length. When I got home, bless him, my husband had printed out a certificate. You know, like you give children. Yes. So you know, Mimi has completed a hundred meters <laughs> of the pool. I went, yes. Did you get a li- get your little badge to sw- <laughs> swim onto your so onto your swimming costume? <laughs> Well, sadly not. I do need to have that, don't I? But what was yeah. it called? Yeah, all the like we used to get when we were kids. Yes, no, yeah. I completely feel your 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 excitement over that because I yes, I went through a little phase of trying triathlon and I just yeah. I did not grow up I didn't learn to swim till I was twelve, so I uh it's not something that comes naturally to me either. So um right, tell me. So the new book is called limitless limitless yeah and that's the journey sort of from uh, you know leading up to include i haven't read it it might be clear i have read the first one but i haven't read the second one tell us about it yeah limitless is is telling you the story of the build-up to america 
Uh, it, it tells you about my run across America and then basically what happened afterwards, mm. how I picked myself up and dusted myself down, yeah. felt sorry for myself, but discovered something new. And I've always been somebody who tries to look on the positive side of life. Mm. So, you know, what I'm doing now, I'm so lucky that I can still, I call myself a bikeist. I'm not a cyclist <laughs> uh, because I'm not quite up there with the big boys at all. And, but yet I'm slightly better than just, you know, biking around. Yeah. So, or cycling. So I'm a bikeist. <laughs> um, but I, I, do, I do love it now. Uh, I can now finally get lost in it a little bit, which I couldn't do. It takes at the a while, doesn't it? Yeah, it does on the bike, definitely, because you're concentrating on so many different things. Yeah. Um, and in fact, I found my, my mind wandering completely the other day. And I thought, Mimi, get your mind back on track here. You know, this is, you're on a road. So yeah, so and I love it. And it makes me happy. And it makes me feel that I'm still able to go and have adventures. Brilliant. Um, so you know, I mean, that's what sports all about, isn't it? It doesn't matter whether you're running for, for the play you know, for the pleasure of just wanting to go out and do a 5k or even a mile or wanting to go and do over a thousand, you know, yeah. over a hundred miles. It doesn't matter. It's sport is all about finding something that makes you happy yeah. and you enjoy. Yes, exactly. Have you, have you started to enjoy cake stops on your site, your bikeling? Because that's, oh, you know, I know I you're not a cake eater, but no, no, I know that's fine. But I, I know my friends laugh at me because uh, they they sort of say, "So are we?" I mean, I'm doing a six hour ride tomorrow mm. on Thursday with a friend, and she said, "So, Mimi, are we allowed to stop for a coffee?" And I laughed. I said, "Yeah, no, I'm getting the hang of that." Well, I don't understand their their logic because as a runner, you're doing a hundred mile race. You get into a checkpoint, and it's you're in and out as fast as possible. Uh -huh. But the cyclists, when I did ride across Britain, I mean, I know it wasn't a race, it's a journey, uh -huh. but even so, they get to a pit stop. Well, they have a full-on sort of, you know, chatter, <laughs> yeah. you know, feeding, drinking, and 30 minutes later, they've left the pit stop. And I'm thinking, what a waste of time. Why do people <laughs> do that? But I went along with it. So the answer is I'm slowly coming to terms with it but I do struggle with that one yeah I'd rather do go out and cycle for three hours four hours five hours whatever it is without a stop yeah yeah and then have my coffee at home yes you sound like a friend of mine she never wants to stop and I was like oh please can we stop for cake <laughs> I know but I do now because that's what my friends want to do and if you cycle with other people it's it's not about me is it it's about yeah. it's the enjoyment it you know so yes, exactly I'm slowly getting the hang of it um so two more things first of all where can we find find you online social media that sort of thing oh all over the place i'm <laughs> i'm some twitter instagram facebook uh, i'm marvelous mimi excellent usually and yeah. we will find i'll put that all in the show notes and we'll find you and one last thing now we had a bit of a backwards and forwards about the challenge katie which um you were going to set me a cycling challenge but i said i couldn't because i'm under the tutelage of elizabeth barnes for running training <laughs> did you think of a challenge for me if not don't worry i'll cut well this all out <laughs> Well, I did think of a sort of, I thought as, as you're sort of, you know, you're training for mm. the MDS and things. I mean, I know you're not going to be doing, um, I thought, what about a mile challenge? Mm. So you can sort of do, run a mile yeah. um, at the beginning of the month, you know, at, at your best pace. Yeah. And then, you know, with your training you're doing over the sort of the month, then run the same, same place, same mile a month later excellent at the end of the month and just see if your speed has improved i love it i thought that would fit in with your training you see as well yes that's a great challenge thank you challenge accepted perfect <laughs> <laughs> thank you and thank you so much for your time and your the energy and joyfulness through the call i've I really thoroughly loved talking to you oh no i've loved it thank, well thank you so much it's it's just lovely isn't it talking about just running and bikling and everything. So, you know. <laughs> bikling. I'm so going to adopt that because I do the whole thing. I'm not really a runner. I'm not really a cyclist. I'm not really a ski mountaineer. Those are my three sports and I do them, you know, kind of whenever, to whatever degree. And But I love the bikling. That sort of suits me quite nicely, actually. <laughs> well, I just think it's a more relaxed, isn't it? You know, yeah. and, and also, you know, we all think of ourselves as, you know, what is a runner? 
you know, yeah. I, they don't, people will say, oh, I'm not a runner. Well, actually, if we run, I only, I do yes. short distances. That if we run, we are a runner. Yes, you're so absolutely right. Bev Logan of the Badass Mother Runners Club, she told me that. She said, if you've put your trainers on and got out the door, you are a runner. So yeah. stop saying that. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Mimi. I really, really appreciate it. That was brilliant. That's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I recorded this episode with Mimi a couple of weeks ago. And the irony of it being released today is uh, a little extraordinary because just this week I was diagnosed with a hip problem that has been bothering me for a while and I am now not doing the Marathon de Sable anymore because I am heading for a hip replacement if I carry on as I am. It's been a very sad week for me but I took a great deal of uh, comfort and courage from listening again to Mimi's story as I was editing it and I will go on to be a better bicyclist and a swimmer and do lots of other adventures. A little bit sad uh, this week, but onwards and upwards and very grateful to have had the opportunity to hear how Mimi handled this sort of thing as her running career came to an end. Thanks for joining us. See you next week. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back next week with another incredible episode of Chatting to a Friend. In the meantime, please give us a follow on Instagram, Chatting to a Friend, for all the latest news. Bye-bye.